0: Welcome to the Profession in Pursuit podcast, recorded at Grace Bible College in Wyoming, Michigan. I'm your host, Alex Bradley.
1: And I'm your co-host, Allison Verhein. Each episode will bring you stories from leaders to get you on your God-given path. Today we're talking about those seasons in life when you're just not sure how to keep going. Our guest is Christy Love, founder and executive director of International Women's Ministry, Lead Her. Her story highlights how to persevere when life seems to be against you. Get ready for a heartwarming story on overcoming obstacles on your way towards your God-given calling.
0: Enjoy the show.
2: I've been disqualified because of all my mistakes and missteps, but I felt like God just said to me, you know, those things that you feel like make you weak and disqualified are the exact things that I need to use. One of the greatest lessons I've learned is if we wait for everything to be right, it's never going to happen. Fear kills more dreams than failure.
0: Well, welcome to the Profession in Pursuit podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to persevere when life seems to be against you. This interview is with Christy Love. And she is the founder and executive director of Lead Her, which is a ministry for women that believes that women have the potential to influence, affect, and unite the world for God's glory. Currently, they have over 30 chapters across nine different states and in six different countries. They are working with um, people just wanting to connect uh, cancer survivors and uh, survivors of domestic abuse. We um, also would like to just let you guys know this year they're focusing on the lifestyle of a lead her, which is focusing on helping women to see worship as more than an activity, but as a lifestyle. So, Christy, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. We're really excited to uh, have this for time with me. you. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: I'm excited to be here. This is going to
0: be fun. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, just uh, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you and Lead Her, tell us a little bit about uh, how your story has led you to start Lead Her.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I often joke, Alex, that if I were ever going to write an autobiography of my life, I think I would probably entitle it "Failing Forward. Um, wow. Because when I look back on like my life and my life's journey to Lead Her, it really was just kind of a series of what it felt like at the time missteps and stumbles and frustrations, but to look back now and see how God's redeeming each of those and using each of those, which has been a really beautiful experience. Um, And just one of those where it just continues to confirm what he tells us in Scripture, that he really will use all things for his glory. Um, For me, in my life, I grew up in the church. Um, I can't remember a time that I wasn't in church um, as a little girl. Um, But I often tell people, I was raised with a head knowledge of God, I could tell you, and I could quote Bible verses for you, and I was the Bible drill champion. I knew Bible inside and out. I knew who God was, Um, but I don't think I truly allowed myself to have a relationship with him. Um, You know, I grew up pretty Midwestern in the buckle of the Bible Belt in Southwest Missouri, and for most of my young adult life, there wasn't like a crisis that really required faith of me, Um, and so it wasn't until I experienced some setbacks, my parents' marriage fell apart. Um, and I had to wrestle with that. And instead of getting closer to God, I actually got mad at him. And so I kind of pushed away and I, I went into a season of rebellion. Um, I got married when I was really young in college and I didn't seek God's direction on that. I was still kind of angry at him at the time. And, um, we started a family very quickly. And unfortunately, um, we didn't have a lot of support. We didn't have a lot of good skills in that marriage. And unfortunately it became a statistic of a broken home and, um, at my first marriage ended after seven years. And it right. was really at that time that I found myself just incredibly desperate. And I remember one night hitting my knees outside of my kid's bedroom, single mom, exhausted. And I just remember praying authentically probably for the first time in my life hmm. and just crying out. And thinking, I can't do this by myself. And I just felt like he whispered to my heart, you don't have to. You've never had to. And to me, that really was the beginning of personal relationships with Mm. Jesus and an understanding of how much God really loves me and how much he's been pursuing me. And so um, from there, I just developed this crazy hunger to grow in my faith, to grow in my relationship with God. I wanted to learn more. I could not learn enough about him. It was really at that point that I kind of struggled a little bit to find things to tell me as a woman. Um, I'm not a typical girl. (laughs) I grew up, my dad's a college basketball coach, and so I was kind of a tomboy. And so, you know, craft parties and some of those kind of things that are more traditional, you know, women's ministry, women's activities, tea parties, that kind of stuff just didn't resonate with me. Um, and so I started really praying, man, God, I want something to feed me deeply. Like, I want needy teaching. I want something that's going to challenge me to connect with people that I normally would not be around. I, I want to learn from women of other generations and other ethnicities, and and I just want to be exposed to your people. And so I started to wrestle with that burden and found myself at a women's event, a large one, about 3,000 women. And it was at that event that God really placed the vision of Leaper on my heart that, you know, those events are great. They were a lot of fun. I love that weekend. But I just kept thinking, man, what are these women going to go home to? Do they have a support system? Do they have a group of friends that they can do life with that will hold them accountable? And so for two years, I just kind of prayed over that vision and really God's direction. Um, spent a lot of time telling him he was picking the wrong person <laughs> and trying to give him <laughs> all the reasons he should pick someone else. Because um, it just kind of felt like a mess. I felt like I'd been disqualified because of all my mistakes and mistakes. Um, but I felt like God just said to me, you know, those things that you feel like make you weak and disqualified are the exact things that I need to use. And I have discovered time and time again, since finally saying yes, and starting lead her six years ago, that I get the chance almost every day to speak into a woman of some age that says, man, I thought God was done with me, or I thought the church was done with me, or I thought I would never get a chance to lead or to do ministry again. And I can relate to that and I can speak into her in that place. And so that's kind of a... A quick reader's digest version of a very long story that led me to lead her.
0: And how? Uh, what year was it that you went to that women's conference?
2: I went to that women's conference in two thousand and nine, okay. and lead her officially launched on May first of
0: two thousand and twelve. Okay, awesome.
1: Christy, something that I thought was so inspiring about your story, um, both as a woman and a mom and everything, is um, not only your ability to to say yes to the Lord, but then I know you've also continued um, to develop yourself, um, both spiritually and then Mm -hmm. I know also with your education, you decided to kind of jump back into higher ed um, after a few years. And I was just kind of wondering if you could talk Maybe talk through that decision and, and that you made as an individual yeah. to, to pursue uh, that degree in higher education.
2: Uh, absolutely. So there were two big factors for me in coming back to college and finishing my bachelor's degree. Um, I always had wanted to go back. It just never seems like the time was right. Um, it never seems like, you know, the factors in life are right. But I think one of the greatest lessons I've learned is if we wait for everything to be right, it's never going to happen. And um, I recognized very quickly after a few years of trying to lead and build this ministry that, you know, my heart was to grow leaders. My heart was to challenge women to grow in their faith and to grow in their relationships, to grow in their own leadership. Um, But one of the most important things I think we have to remember is that we can't challenge people to grow if we're not growing ourselves. And so I knew that I needed to put myself back into the posture of a student and back into the the place of being challenged to grow myself. And um, on top of that, you know, as a mom with younger kids who were, you know, coming into higher elementary years, early middle school years, it was really important for me for them to see me sacrifice to go back and finish a goal that was important for them to understand how important was for them to see me um, really achieve that, because I wanted to make sure that they understood that nothing, you know, puts that off um, in in our lives, that no obstacle is too great, that we can't overcome that. And so those were probably the two biggest factors. As I started exploring different programs and where was the right place to go back and just praying for a lot of direction, came across Grace and um, could not have been more pleased with my experience. Um, was incredibly challenged um, to wrestle with some things and was just really equipped to really, I think, take lead her from um, a, a relatively new, small organization to what is now, you know, a, a large international organization that's working with women, like you said, in six different countries.
1: I love that. And I love your honesty that it certainly wasn't easy. It probably wasn't an easy decision. Um, like you said, we. If we wait for everything to be right, it's not going to happen. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, how rewarding and what an awesome example for your kids um, and just, just everybody. That's, a, that's really inspiring.
0: You know, uh, Christy, I kind of want to go back for a second um, to your story. One of the things you talked about a lot was feeling disqualified, feeling like mm-hmm. the church was done with you, not necessarily that you were done with mm-hmm. the church. Um, and I feel like a lot of people – feel that way, men and women alike, Mm -hmm. um, for various reasons. And, you know, how did you, um, overcome that stigma? Was it just through God using you and lead her or were there other Mm -hmm. factors at play there that just kind of, um, reinforced that he still loved you, still wanted to use you, that you were important?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. Now, I think for me, there were several things that happened. Um, number one was that I really had to find some freedom from, the religious piece of church (laughs) and i had to to really lean into the relational side of church um i had always kind of had this view growing up as church being something that was obligatory and so it was kind of like a checklist you know okay i needed to get up i needed to read 2.5 chapters of the bible and i needed to pray for 30.1 minutes you know it it was kind of like this is what makes me a good christian was the view that i was raised with it was very legalistic And um, I had to find some freedom from that. I had to recognize that, you know what, if I pick up my Bible to read and I only get through three verses before the Holy Spirit grabs my heart with something and I can't get past that verse, then I just need to camp in that verse. And it's okay if I don't read the entire Bible in a year. If if I only get through Psalms in an entire year and I sit and soak in that, God's going to use that. He's not going to hold anything else against me. He doesn't score me on a scorecard. Mm. Um, I had to find personal freedom from some of that. And so that came through just a lot of studying God and learning more about who He was versus who I perceived Him to be. Um, I had a lot of misconceptions about God that I had to unlearn
0: for myself.
2: Uh, as I really began to dig into true relationship with Him. And then I think for me, as I engaged more and more in relationship with God, I started to recognize the importance of relationship in community with the church. Um, Mm. The church wasn't just a place anymore that I needed to go because it was required of me. It was a place I longed to be a part of because I fell in love with the church, because I fell in love with God's design for the church. And so I think the healing had to happen in me first. And I had to fall in love with my Heavenly Father, and I had to fall in love with His design for the church Mm. so that I could kind of find my footing there again.
0: You know, I love that you talk about those misconceptions, because I think so many people, um, especially those who grew up in the church, kind of, I don't know how it happens as we're younger, we, we create these ideas about God that are kind of half-truths or sometimes whole lies. Yeah. And later in life, as we get more experience, as we kind of come to those crisis moments like you're talking about that test our faith, those things themselves prove to be you know not sufficient, mm-hmm. and we have to go back to them and go back to Scripture and say, what does it say? One of my favorite quotes, mm-hmm. I can't think off the top of my head who said it, but it says, God made man in his image, and man returned the favor. And I think that's Mm -hmm. so um, common. We kind of project our own feelings on God, like, Mm -hmm. I feel inadequate, so God feels like I'm inadequate. I feel Mm -hmm. like I've been disqualified, so God sees me as Mm -hmm. disqualified. And um, just really love that you're willing to go there and share that part of your story.
2: Mm Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of projection that happens in ourselves, you know, like, like you just said, you know, we, we perceive an emotion and we project that onto him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think something that's really become apparent to me now that I am a parent (laughs) um, of almost four teenagers. And so um, is learning to let them find their own way with God. I think that was part of my struggle was because I felt so expected to go through the motion. So I had to be at Bible school and I had to be at youth group and I had to participate and I had to, um, you know, I, I was expected to get baptized by this age and, and those kind of things. I think I've tried to have a lot more um, of a realistic expectation for my kids, but also to give them a more authentic experience so that it wasn't a carbon copy of my faith, That I want them to have, I want them to have their own faith. I want them to develop that and, and have the permission to go through that process a little bit. Um, it's yeah. not always easy to do, but I think it's really important because I think a lot of times we rob kids and young adults of that and, it leads us to this place where we kind of struggle and come to that
0: crisis point. Absolutely. And I can just envision um, some parent um, listening to this podcast and their ears kind of peaked up when you talk about letting your teenagers kind of find their own way. And of course, Mm -hmm. like any parent, like a good parent wants to protect their kids and there's all of this kind of stuff, but I'm kind of envisioning, because I don't know why I don't really like bowling, but I'm thinking of like, you know, the Mm -hmm. bumper bars, like you want them to get down the lane, but how do you, so how do you let them kind of have that freedom to roam there without going Mm -hmm. off the rails, so to speak?
2: Yeah. You know, for us, and I, I am by no means a parenting expert. So, but you know, for me, some of the things that I know that we've done, um, I, I had experiences growing up where I was told like well you can't read this because that that goes against the Bible um and I thought you know what but why does it I don't understand why it, it went against the bible because I never read it um, and so you know there were certain books maybe for example that were really popular my kids wanted to read and I thought you know what I'm gonna read it with you we're gonna read it together and here's the deal we're gonna have at least two different coffee dates you know we're we would go for hot chocolate, essentially. Um, but, you know, we'd certainly we talk about it and we'd say, okay, what do you think about that chapter? And what are your thoughts? And, well, this kind of bothers me because I don't know if I agree with this. Mm. Um, and, you know, I had an 11-year-old looking at me going, I don't, think that, I don't think that this is okay. But giving them permission to put themselves in some of these places instead of just saying, you can't go there. Um, yep. That's been some of the kind of things that we've tried to do. Um, you know, I've tried to put them in some situations, even with friends, where... I could see it, you know, like, oh, man, that that may not end very well. Hmm. Um, but they had to experience some of that, and they had to experience some heartache, and then we'd have to process that um, together, and what does that look like?
0: Hmm. Awesome.
1: That's incredible. And something else that just really struck me, I know you said it a few moments ago, you spent two years in prayer. Um, just looking for for something and an outlet, um, and I just can't help but think about all the different mission trips that people go on or you know, conferences that people attend. And when they're there in the moment, they're they're so on fire. And then for yeah. so many of us, we leave, and it kind of yeah. just ends there. You know, we we leave it on the yeah. mission trip or we leave it at the conference. And I'm just curious. How did you find the, the courage? Um, what did it take for you after this two years of prayer to finally say, you know what? God has put this on my heart and, and lead her really needs to be a thing. Can you just kind of take us through that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So to answer your question correctly, I have to give you a little bit of a backstory that's kind of a humorous antidote about myself. So people that know me really well know that I have a tendency to invent my own words <laughs> um, I like it. If I can't think of an appropriate, if I can't think of an appropriate word for it, I just make up my own word and my own definition. And so, um, one of the words that I kind of coined during that then of my life was the word "prepared." Um, I could easily be prepared as a leader. You know, I could study and I could read about organizational structure and leadership and how to create a nonprofit and how to fund a five hundred one c c and write bylaws. I, I could have done all of that. Um, from an academic perspective, but I really felt like God called me into a season of not just being prepared, but being prepared. And so we actually took, lead her through an entire year of a study then that we did last year in 2016 called Prepared and it was teaching them a lot of the lessons that God taught me in that season of life. Um, I'm a big believer that prayer is probably one of the most untapped and one of the probably weakest disciplines of many of us in the church today. Um, if we really are honest and most of us don't want to be honest about that, you know, a lot of times our prayer lists are, we're praying the same things over and over. And, and, you know, we're kind of just flying through that and we neglect prayer a lot. Um, but God really, really chose me and continued to show me, um, that prayer is a critical element, probably the most critical element in leadership and strategic planning, in following Him, no matter what that looks like. And so, whoever is listening to this, that would be my biggest encouragement. If, if you want to see God move in your life in a new way, if you want to see Him take you to bigger things or to use you in a more powerful way, then I really think where the first change needs to be is in your own personal prayer life. Um, learn how to pray scripture. You know, learn how to open up the Psalms and read them and start to, to, you know, translate those to your own circumstances and your own heart cries. Read the prayers of people in Scripture and how they cried out to God and how they sought after God. And, and seek to not copy that, but seek to model that in your own life. You know, cry out in the moments that you need Him the most. Cry out in celebration. Um, and I think the more that we learn to speak Him in prayer, the more He is able to use us effectively here to make a difference on this earth.
1: And Christy, do you have any tips? Because I'm kind of thinking through a listener. Gosh, I'm even thinking about my own life, you know, especially if you have kids and you might be going back to school and you also have a full time mm-hmm. job, you know, those mornings getting everybody out the door in time and hopefully they had breakfast yeah. and then you get home and you have dinner and, and everything. Do you have tips on, on you know, really making that prayer a priority, but also you got to fit mm-hmm. it into the day. Do you have tips for that busy yeah. mom or dad that might be struggling with that? Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I get asked that question a lot, and I think the two things that I often tell people, and again, this is just personal things that I've done that have really been helpful for me, because just like you described, um, I run on a crazy busy schedule <laughs> with a very hectic family, and, and so one of the things that was really, really important for me um, was learning the discipline of prayer journaling. Um, that has been revolutionary in my life, in my relationship with God, in my prayer life, and in my leadership. Um, I keep prayer journals now for years, and, you know, if someone asks me to pray for them, I take that seriously. I'll, I'll jot that down at the end of the day in my prayer journal. I date those things. If there's something I'm asking God for specifically, I will date those things. And what I love to do is, you know, I'll go through, and some nights before I go to bed, you know, I may just pray through that, those things I just wrote down. Some nights I may flip back four or five pages. Sometimes I'll even dig out old years prayer journals and I highlight them when God answers something I highlight it in different colors and it's always like this moment of praise for me to go back and look at all the different colors of highlights that have shown up and just seeing his faithfulness um but it's also really really exciting for me to you know once in a while grab a prayer journal from three or four or five years ago and start flipping through and notice oh my goodness I need to grab a highlighter like he's answered this now he didn't answer it three or four years ago when I was using this journal but he's answered that now Um, And so I think that's been a really, really big catalyst for me um, to get more excited and connected to my prayer life because it it keeps me on the front row with God. It keeps me seeing that he's not a God that forgets. He's a God that's still active. Um, So that would be one thing that I would encourage. And that's something that you can just, you know, I use small notebooks, small journals. I can slip them in my purse or in my briefcase. I can take them with me. Um, So that's something I think anybody can incorporate. Um, The other thing that I do is I try to really use a lot of my downtime. So I have a commute every day to the office and I don't turn the radio on a lot of times in the morning. I will, I use that as prayer time. You know, there's, there's certain days of the week for me where, you know, okay, on Mondays I'm going to pray for Andrew on Tuesdays, I'm going to pray for Bryson, you know, my kids. And there's different ways that I can kind of break that up so that I get a chance to focus on different aspects of prayer and kind of carve those times out in times that I'm still, doing something different. I may use my workout time or you know, some of those kind of down times where I can really just focus on prayer during that and just integrate that more into my life.
0: You know, just kind of like coming back around a little bit to lead her. Obviously, you already mentioned up until the point where you started Lead Her, you hadn't started a nonprofit before. This was kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, your flagship run. So um, kind of stepping into that, that had to have been kind of scary. You know, a lot of people, I, I really believe some of the best ideas in the world are still still sitting on hard drives in the closet or mm-hmm. journals on the shelf because there's this fear that kind of bubbles up within us that prevents us from taking that Absolutely. step forward. And so, you know, what did that look like for you? Like, how did you just kind of like overcome those uh, those anxieties that would tell you you're going to fail. You're not going to make it. You don't know what you're doing. All yeah. of those kinds of things that that kind of wash over yeah. you.
2: Yeah, I heard a song lyric a couple of years ago that's always stuck with me, and it just says fear kills more dreams than failure. And I think that's so true and so powerful because you're exactly right. If we allow fear to take over, it becomes a cancer and it just kind of infects everything and it leaves us immobilized. And oftentimes, sadly in places of disobedience because God's calling us to something and we're saying, I I believe you're calling me. I'm just too afraid to go forward. Um, And I lived in that space for two years. You know, there there are moments I don't, I don't try to live in them very often, but every once in a while, I'll catch a moment where I just think, man, how much more could we have done if I wouldn't have wasted those two years of being so terrified? Um, and, And they were purposeful years. And I believe that there was a lot of prayer and there were a lot of things. But there was also a lot of fear. And so for me to break out of that, um, it really just required kind of this come to Jesus moment. And I will never forget it. I was driving my car um, down the highway, coming back from a job that I was working. I had a 30-mile drive until I got home. And I just felt the burden of this calling so heavy on my heart. I could not deny it anymore. I literally had to pull over the shoulder and start to cry. And, um, and I'm not a crier. Like that was a big deal for me. I knew God was doing something. And, um, I just remember saying, okay, I'm all in. And that's kind of become my phrase, um, with God has been, you can't follow God 90%. You can't give God 75%. He asks for everything. And for us to be obedient to him requires everything. And so for me, I knew that he was asking for me to be all in and, It was amazing to me how fearful I was on the outside of that, but how much peace I found in the moment I said, okay, I'm stepping all in. Here we go. Um, For me, I quit my job, and I literally sat on the couch for a week, (laughs) Um, and I did three things. I prayed, I read scripture, and I read a book, Um, Mark Batterson's book, The Wild Goose Chase. Um, which is all kind of about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit's at work in the world around us, um, and that's what I did for the first week. And I said, "Okay, I'm." All, but I wasn't afraid. As I sat on the couch that week, I wasn't afraid. At the end of the week, when there was no paycheck, um, I think when we come to that place of finally jumping, we find that He's there to catch us and that He's already going to provide for what we need. And I remember sitting there going, "I don't know how to do this. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to build a board. I don't. I don't know how to do this." And literally. Names would just pop into my mind or people would email me out of nowhere and say, hey, you don't know me, but um, someone that you know mentioned you're doing this thing and I'd like to learn about it. And it was just completely this experience of awe watching God work out all of these things for me. Um, And I would have missed that if I would have let fear keep me on the other side of jumping.
1: And it's so inspiring now to think of, I mean, six different countries that you're in now. It's mm-hmm. um, it's inspiring, it's exciting, and I can only imagine with all of these women that you're interacting with, as you mentioned, kind of from different generations and cultures, do you see yeah. that there are maybe like one or two major issues that you find the women in your ministry facing? Mm-hmm. Um, what what are some of those common problems?
2: Yeah, Um consistently across the board. It doesn't matter what country we're working with women in. It doesn't matter what age group, what education level they have. There are several issues that jump out consistently with women. One of them is loneliness. Um, There is a disconnection that exists in our culture now that, I mean, it affects most of all, because it's not just a generational issue. Um, It it is a disconnection that happened because we have become a culture that is, you know, texting and is, you know, posting the highlights of our life, not the reality of our life online. Um, We've become a culture that's not authentic. We've become a culture that is so busy and so overscheduled that we don't have time for people. We don't have time for relationships, and so when I talk to people, especially women, but I hear it from men and from women. Um, you know, I've I've heard it from women in their eighties. I've heard it from teenagers. I've heard it from young moms they are just desperately lonely and disconnected and lacking community. Um, and, and when we talk to a woman who's interested in starting a lead her chapter, that's often one of the biggest pieces they connect to is I want to create a community. I want to develop relationships. I want to do life with people face to face again. And so that would be one thing that I would say. Um, the other one that I would say is I think there is a real struggle in the church especially, but with women right now, they are struggling to find mentors. They're struggling to find people to speak into them, to breathe life into them. I talk to a lot of of women who have big vision and big passion, but they don't have a lot of people to support them in that. They don't have a lot of people who've maybe gone before them. And I think there is a kind of crisis in the church right now, of female mentorship, of women that are willing to kind of look back and give some guidance and some direction um, to some of those younger generations. That's a piece that we hear a lot too, is just this craving for someone to encourage them and someone to say, hey, this is how I did it, or hey, this is how I did it, don't do that. Um, And and really kind of do that, which is a big reason why mentorship and, you know, really being able to equip women over that relational piece and that generational piece is such a crucial part of what we do at WeHerb.
1: I love that. and I think they even, you know, really tie hand in hand with the loneliness and then the, the struggle, especially for young women today, finding mentors, but you don't have to be a young woman to, to need a mentor. How do you, do you, or do you have, I guess, any advice for um, some of our listeners that might be struggling with that, might be struggling with that loneliness, might be struggling with, mm-hmm. with not having that role model or that mentor? Um, what do you suggest yeah. for them to, to start doing?
2: Yeah, I I talk to girls all the time about this. And and the one thing I always tell them um, is, have you asked someone? Have you asked someone to mentor you? Because I think so many of us, we wait for someone to come to us and say, I see so much potential in you. I want to mentor you. I want to speak into you. That very rarely happens because I think when I talk to older women, a lot of them will tell me very quickly. In fact, I just had a phone call this morning with a woman who's an amazing leader um, in her 60s. And she said to me, I've never really mentored anyone because I never really thought I had anything valuable to say. And I thought, oh, my goodness, like, you're one of the most value-enriched people that I know Um and that's so sad to me. And so, what I often challenge people to do who are who are in that place, and they're like, "Man, I really wish I had a mentor or someone to speak into me." I often encourage them. Do you have someone that you respect? Like when you look at the way that they lead, do you respect that? When you look at the way that they live, does that really, man? I I would love to emulate that in some way, shape, or form. Ask that person to lunch, ask them to coffee, ask them questions, ask them what they're reading right now. It doesn't have to be this really formal relationship of, you know, curriculum-based mentoring. It's relational-based that I think is what is really important. And so sometimes I think that younger person, that person who's seeking a mentor, you've got to be willing to not just pray for it and hope for it, but also ask for it too directly.
0: You know, uh, Christy, just as you were kind of sharing that, um, one of the things you said about that that lady in her 60s, and she was a great leader, and she had so much value to offer, and yet somewhere in her mind she thought, what do I have to say to anybody else? Mm-hmm. Uh, reminds me, one of my favorite teachers and theologians, his name is C. Baxter Kruger, um, kind of like this down-to-earth Southern guy, but man, is he a genius. And he kind of talks Mm -hmm. a lot about how God associates himself with the title I am. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, that comes from Exodus. He repeats it several times throughout the Gospel of John and in other places. Um, And that Satan is this um, antithesis to that where his word to us is not I am, but I am not. Mm -hmm. I am not Mm -hmm. worthy. And, And so often we're Wrestling with our "I am not" statements, and mm-hmm. um, man, I just see that so clearly in so many people's lives. Um, so that's just very interesting and yeah. and encouraging to me. Just to know that you know you're facing that head on. But I also just kind of wanted to, you know, kind of pick your brain a little bit. You know, the church talks a lot about making disciples and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What does it What does it look like? to be a mentor or, or even for like somebody who's saying like, okay, yeah, I do want to go and ask somebody to be my mentor. What are they really asking Mm -hmm. them to do? Are they just going to go have Mm -hmm. some, some laughs over coffee? Like what does that kind of a relationship look like?
2: That's a great question. I think, and I think the answer is different for every person. I, I don't think that there's any such thing as effective cookie cutter mentorship because every single person who is in need of someone speaking into them has a different need. Um, they have a different goal. They have, you know, a different hole, so to speak, that they're looking to have kind of spoken into or filled up. And so I, I think you kind of got to ask yourself some different questions. You know, what season are you in right now? You know, I I've seen women in all different seasons of life, so it's a situational season, and they need a situational mentor. You mm-hmm. know, and um, I've got a a woman in my life right now who just recently became a foster mom for the very first time, and she's never been a mom and so she needs a situational mentor she needs a mom to just come beside her and say hey you know you just kind of got a six-year-old dropped in your lap and so you know helping how do you discipline how do you do homework how do you cook meals for a six-year-old to eat um and so that that's a situational um, kind of thing then i think you've got people who have more of an experiential mentorship need where um I want to learn how you did this, you know, whether it's building a company or stepping into full-time ministry or, you know, whatever that looks like, how did you do that? What was that process? And so I think if you're somebody that's really creating that, that's something you've got to ask yourself are, you know, what do you need? And, and also understand that if you find a mentor in this season of your life, that doesn't necessarily mean that that mentor is going to stay with you, you know, for the rest of your life. I've mentored girls sometimes for, you know, just a couple months at a time. And then really felt like I kind of spoken into them what I could and maybe I've connected them to somebody else or they've kind of connected to someone else naturally. Um, then there's other people that I've mentored for years. And so it just kind of depends and it needs to be a very fluid, very personal kind of relationship.
1: I love that. And I, I love thinking about all of the women in your ministry and, um, Alex touched on it earlier um, when we kind of introduced the podcast and, and all that we're going to be talking about today, and especially all that lead her is um, and the different type of women that it brings together. And I was wondering if you could maybe just share with us a story of a woman in your ministry who has been able to really use and and utilize lead her and all that it offers to persevere. I feel like a lot of the things we've been touching on today are about that perseverance. And I was wondering if you had a story that stuck out in your mind of, of someone who's really been able to persevere through some tough times.
2: Yeah. yeah, oh, man, you know, there's so many to choose from. And I don't say that pridefully. I say that with a lot of awe and a lot of honor that God has given us the privilege to play a small part in a lot of different people's stories. you um, know, I think of women that have come at all different seasons. We've had single moms who have come to lead her completely exhausted and completely broken, and they have found community, and they have found connection, and they have just found this amazing ability to embrace a tough season that they're in because they know they're not alone anymore. Um, I've seen cancer patients that have stepped in to lead her and then gotten this diagnosis and they've said, man, without this constant force of sisterhood and support, I don't know if I would have made it through that. Um, one of my favorite stories is a, a young woman who leads a chapter for us in Crestview, Florida. Her name is Jolene and Jolene attended a lead her live event. We did. Um, we used to do kind of these you know, several chapters would come together in a community and we'd take over a church for a weekend and do this event. Um, And she came to one of those in Florida, and she had recently been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And um, she really felt like God was kind of stirring her heart to start a lead her chapter to get involved. And so she left there and promised God, if you will heal me of this disease and you will take this cancer from me, I will start a lead her chapter. And so for several years she went through treatment and the day that she got a clean bill of health and that she was pronounced in remission, she told us that she went home and she filled out her lead, her local application. And she has been consistently leading a chapter there they're in that community now for several years. And she's gone through my mentoring program. We have a, a coordinator development, leadership development program, kind of on the backside just for our coordinators. And, man, she eats that stuff up. She goes through all of those classes and just it's so amazing to watch the passion with which she leads from. And it's really exciting to know that God used that to really motivate her and encourage her that there's something really exciting that you're going to get to do at the end of this struggle. And you're going to get to use your story again and again and again. She's one of the many, many women. Um, who really inspire me when I get to hear those things. But, you know, we've heard stories of homeless women who come and connect to Lead Her. We've heard stories of, you know, I was mentioning the the young woman in foster care. I know of two women, um, one of which is a, is a single woman. She was going through Lead Her in our our pair year talking about, what's your passion? What are you called to? And she was like, I don't, I don't have a passion. And so she started to pray that God would give her a passion. And just through, like, TV commercials and documentaries, foster care just kept coming back to her again and again. And she came to our chapter meeting. It was the chapter I was leading, and she said, will you pray for me? I feel like God may be calling me to do respite care for foster care. So she started out getting trained to just do, you know, helping out foster families. And then the lady that was leading that training said, why don't you go ahead and just get licensed just in case? And so she prayed about it. She came to our chapter and asked what we thought. We encouraged her. We prayed with her. She got licensed, and then literally within just days or weeks, um, she had a little girl placed with her that she is now possibly going to be able to adopt. And she's a single young woman in her 30s doing that by herself. And so um, I'm just amazed at the privilege that God bless being part of so many different crazy stories.
0: That's That's inspiring.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that um, gosh, that just gives me all the warm and fuzzies. I love, I just love hearing those <laughs> stories, and and Jolene's particularly that was um, inspirational mm-hmm. for sure. I'm curious, yeah. as you kind of think back through, just I, I know you spend a lot of time studying scripture. Um, so maybe it is yeah. scripture, maybe it's just um a quote or something. But can you think through? Was there ever a particular quote or verse that you have used um, to get you through tough times, mm-hmm. or just the that you feel is kind of one of your go-to, um, pieces to, to think on and meditate on and pray on, um, or just one that really stands out to you that sort of embodies your life and, and what you try and do. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So,
1: um,
2: it's hard to pick just one. There's two, they're both really short, but, um, the first one is a scripture, my very favorite scripture, um, is in Nehemiah. And I actually had a reference to the scripture tattooed on my wrist, which is not something that I would ever do. Um, but that's how deeply important um, this scripture has become to me. I wanted a visual reminder of it constantly. And it's this place in Nehemiah where he's building a wall, and they are coming against him, and they constantly are telling him he needs to quit and he needs to stop. And what is he doing? And you know, they're they're over the halfway point. You know, he has to be exhausted. And And at that point, Nehemiah could have cried out, you know, to the king of kings and the host of hosts, and he could have said, you know, tell these people to be quiet, drive them away. But he didn't. Instead, Nehemiah 6-9 says this. He says, for they thought that my hands would grow too weak for this work. So I prayed, God strengthen my hands. And... That has become my constant prayer every day. Like, you know, if I walk into the office and there's a situation or, or something's happened, my immediate prayer has just said, "Okay, I'm not asking that you make it easy. I'm just asking that you give me strength equal to the task. And um, it's really helps keep me in a posture of leading from my knees, which I think is a, the most effective place that we lead from. Um, so that's, that's probably my favorite scripture. My favorite quote, I have it framed on my desk um, in the office. I look at it all the time, talk about it to our girls, our coordinators, our members all the time. Um, it's a Warren Buffett quote, and he says, always take the high road because it's always less crowded. Mm-hmm. And um, that's probably been a gut check for me as much as the Nehemiah verse is a heart check for me. Um, you know, those times when something happens to us and we're tempted to lash out, or we just want to make it right because we feel entitled to something. I kind of always go back to that and think, okay, which one's the high road? Um, and there's a scripture in Colossians um, three, verse one, um, in the message that says, "Look up, look up to the things around Christ, and pay attention to those things." And so I always kind of think of those two together. You know, if I'm if I'm focused on the details, I need to look up. I need to seek out the higher road, and I need to try to take that.
0: That's awesome. Well, Christy, thank you so much for sharing that with us. you know, of course, you're doing a lot um, and you're working with a lot of people. And we're really excited about what's happening at Lead Her, which is why we wanted you on this podcast. But for those who are just being exposed to your ministry and some of the kinds of things that you're talking about today, you know, where might they go to kind of see what your latest project is or keep up with Lead Her Ministries or any kind of writing that you're doing out there? Um, where would they go to find yeah. that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So there's several different places you can connect with us. Um, I would encourage you to visit us online at leadher.org. Um, and then there are some of our social media links on there. Um, our Facebook page is a great place to connect with us and to hear some stories of different things that are happening to keep up to date on events that are coming up. Um, we are constantly doing new training sessions. We call those jumpstart sessions for women that are interested in getting trained to launch a lead her chapter in their community. And so our Facebook page is the best place to connect to learn about informational calls and upcoming trainings and how you can dive in and get involved in lead her. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. We share a lot of behind the scenes pictures on Instagram, pictures from our chapters meeting um, in the U.S. and internationally, pictures from our staff, um, all kinds of different fun things like that that you can see on Instagram. Um, and then if you want to connect with me personally too, I have a Facebook page um, and I also am on Twitter. And so um, those are two really good ways that you can connect with me personally if you're interested as well.
0: So I want to leave you with one final thought. You know, last year you guys did, or, or maybe it was two years ago, the Prepared study. Mm-hmm. And based on our conversation talking about persevering when life seems to be against you, maybe a pre severe, you know, topic mm-hmm. would be a good opportunity for two thousand eighteen. I don't know. Just throwing my, my option yeah. in the ring there.
2: <laughs> well, hey, it's good timing because we actually start planning 2018 theme next week. So, there great timing <laughs> to throw that out there. Praise your <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> All awesome. right, I like it. I'll write it down. <laughs>
0: Perfect. Well, thank you again so much, Christy. We've really enjoyed this time. I know that everybody listening to this has something that I think they can take away and just be encouraged by, strengthened by, and so just really am uh, thankful for how God's using you. So, um, thank Thank you so much again for being on the show, and we'll look forward to connecting with you again soon.
2: All right. Thank you guys so much for having me and so appreciative of Grace and all you guys do and your partnership and support of Leader. We really appreciate you guys as well.
0: Absolutely. Have a wonderful day.
2: Bye. All right, you too. Bye-bye.
0: So until next time, persevere. Okay, so for me, that was like a really encouraging interview. Christy had so much to say. So it would much. be really um, ridiculous to try and rehearse all of the bullet points that were like, worth taking away from that. But um, the one thing that really stood out to me, and I, I asked her to stop and pause on it, was the mentorship po- uh, component. And I know she's seen that in the lives of women, but so many men need that too as well. It's just a, a human need. like We all try and kind of trudge our own tracks through whatever season of life we might be in. But I really feel like that mentorship is a missing component. And so, you know, for me, like what it said was when you hit those rough patches, however hard they might be, whatever the cause might have been, you more or less don't want to go through that on your own. I mean, not that God couldn't do that. But he's designed you to seek out the people who've been there, gone through that. And maybe it's not the exact same thing, but whatever their pain and suffering might have been, they found a way through, probably with the help of other people. And so it's this like idea of community, talking to those people who've gone before you and saying like, here's where I am. It's kind of raw. It's kind of messy. I don't know how to change this, but I want to. Can you help me? And I love that she, you know, in my own experience, I've looked to certain men, oftentimes pastors, who I've like, I want to be mentored by them. I want to be like them. I want to teach like them, talk like them, live like them, whatever it might have been. And I've gone into that with this idea like, it's just never going to (laughs) end. I mean, I'm going to ask them today, and I am going to, you know, be mentored by them for years and years and years. Um, And so often those seem to stop abruptly because of life circumstances or whatever it might be. And in the moment I was frustrated by it, but now looking back, like they did give me what they could give me. It was all they had. And, um, maybe it, it wasn't cut the the way that I would have wanted it to come to an end. But, um, the fact that she brought up the experiential mentorship or seasonal mentorship, I think makes it more accessible. You don't have to find somebody whose life is 100% on the track that you're heading on. But somewhere along the way, their experience had crossed a path that you are now crossing. And you're saying, can you help me through this section? You know, um, And I thought that was really powerful, insightful, um, and accessible to anybody, really.
1: No doubt. And something that really struck me with what Christy said, so much so that I think she really hit on it twice, um, was the fact that we need to be prayerful about what we do. That's a great way to persevere through something, but at the same time, you've got to act on it. Um, Sometimes life is always going to be crazy, and if you don't take that first step after prayerful consideration, after you know, really studying your Bible and and hopefully being able to interact with a mentor, someone you respect— nothing's going to change unless you take that first step. And so it's not always going to be clean. Um, it might still be a little bit messy, but that's how you have to get through it is by, you know, through prayerful consideration, taking that first action. Because I think she said if we wait for everything to be right, it's just not going to happen.
0: Absolutely. And, yeah, we are so quick to let things immobilize us. Whatever it might be, it's scary. Yeah. It's un, um Uh, It's not normal for my life, so I'm just going to sit here until it changes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I read a quote the other day that said, um, if you keep doing the same thing, you'll always get the same results. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.